Your children are not your children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but they are not from you. And though they are with you, they belong not to you. You can give them your love, but not your thoughts, because they have their own thoughts. They have their own thoughts. You can house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You can strive to be like them. But you cannot make them just like you. Strive to be like them. But you cannot make them just like you. Our children are not our children. They are the sons and the daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through us, but they are not from us. And though they are with us, They belong not to us. We can give them our love, but not our thoughts, because they have their own thoughts. They have their own thoughts. (laughs) We can house their bodies, but not their souls, for their souls dwell in a place of tomorrow, which we cannot visit Not even in our dreams. We can strive to be like them, but we cannot make them just like us. Strive to be like them, but we cannot make them just like us. On children. Mm. So... I am going to talk about nature today, um, the refuge of nature and the loss of nature. And that part of the discussion, chokes me up even to say it, is a very difficult piece to talk about. The future that we cannot see and our children moving into a future. And I'm going to create a space where we can hold that together a bit, that the future is difficult to look at right now but it is also unknown. Before I do that, though, I want to just say a few words about the birth and death cycle. Last year at this time, many of you will remember my Dharma talk dwelt on my dad. I had just found out, oh boy, this is going to be one of those mornings. (laughs) I didn't get much sleep, and that really makes it, you know, much more tender. Um, My dad had just been diagnosed with cancer. He was 95. We thought he had dodged every bullet and was just going to live forever. You just feel like after a certain point, they're just done. The, 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 you know, the angel of death says, oh, forget him. You know? <laughs> but not so. And so right after I left the retreat, retreat, I flew to Seattle. And I spent what was to be a couple of weeks on my summer vacation that I'd already planned. And I ended up, thanks to this practice and knowing to just listen to the truth of the moment, I ended up staying two months and borrowed clothes from friends and phoned my husband and just stayed because it was the right thing to do. And it was an absolutely life-changing experience. And I know there's at least a couple of people in this room who have recently gone through the death of a parent, and probably more of you than I know. I'm sure many more of you than I know. 
and I'm so grateful that I got to be with him and walk that path with him. And one of the um, truths that the song reminds me of and that the seeds this morning reminded me of is that is the nature of seeds to change and grow beyond their original form. And this is so true of children, you know, it's so true of children that these precious little bundles that are just, they seem like blank slates, even though some of them come out screaming and some come out smiling and some come out, and, and then they, you know, but they become these immense, amazing sunflowers, so unpredictable. Um, that was true for me. And I know I was true for my dad as he was there for my birth and then stayed with me my whole life, his whole life, and watched me emerge into the human being that I was to become. And I got to st- live long enough and see him live long enough to see him become. A, I mean, I got to learn that parents change too. And this is so good for our children to see, you know, that we're not set in stone. So he was there at my beginning and I was there at his end. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And nature, one of the beautiful gifts I think nature gives us is the gift of a sense of timelessness and eternity, especially the ocean and mountains, that stretches beyond our little lifespan. So that as my dad began to shrivel and become that ancient tree and just shrink down. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> Get out the hankies. Um, by the way, okay, good. Here we go. All right. So I'll tell you what I'll do here. I'm going to give you a couple because I know <laughs> I know with whom I sit. I know him very well. <laughs> Oh boy. The first time we ever went through a Dharma talk together and, and Ajahn Pasano wept with me, I thought, okay, now I can sit comfortably with this man. You know, I was sort of intimidated before. So um, that sense of how impermanent and precious and short our lives are next to a mountain or an ocean or even a redwood. And um, it's just good, like I said this morning, to get out of our human centered lifespan and human centered sense of power and into that big vastness. So let's sing together a song that's on your song sheets if you, if you have them. Oh boy, now we have to, no, we don't want to do a big disruption. You know what, let's not, let's, I'll do a different one. I, I don't want you to have to move. This is a song that I started writing before I knew my dad was ill and then put it down. It wasn't quite doing it for me. And then after he died, I picked it up again and it was doing it for me. So it's funny how sometimes we have these precognitions, like we know something ahead of the time when we know we need to know it. Have you had that experience as parents? Or maybe even when you've read a parenting book before you had children and it's either it didn't make sense or you thought, well, I got that. I know that. That's obvious. And then you have a child and it's like, can I go read that book again? A song of nature reminding me of the truth. And if anyone, you know, is having intense feelings and someone wants to sit near them and just be their friend, this is a good time to reach out to each other. This is how I'd like my life to be To live as trusting as a leaf on a tree Let the seasons take good care of me This is how I'd like to be To not be fearful of the falling down 
not cling too tightly when my time comes round. Gladly sink into the winter ground. Know the best of me will come back around. This is how I'd like my life to be. To be a ripple on a midnight sea. Let the mighty waves wash over me. This is how I'd like to be. To not be fearful of the ebb and flow. To kiss the shore and then to let it go. To rise up to the sky when warm winds blow and fall back down again. This is how I'd like my life to be. To find my music and to set it free. Open up my arms to harmony. This is how I'd like to be. To not be fearful of the wounded throat. To sing the beauty of the broken note to trust my breath and let the song unfold risk it all and let the truth be told Ooh. come with me healing to me to have songs like that whether I write them or find them to just take me to that true place you know and as a parent my son for those of you that don't know me my son is 20 now and he's just landed in Holland (laughs) he was flying all last night which is part of why I didn't sleep I'm so excited for him and um 
And he was a little sprout here at Spirit Rock. And some of you know he was a rather famous little sprout. And not really because he was my son, that was just the icing, but because he was a ball of fire. And he was, he was the classic you know, kid who couldn't sit still. And of course, as a, as a leader, and I was very new to this practice, I started writing songs. One of the gifts and curses of being an artist is that you can write and say and paint and dance things that you don't really understand at all. You're just channel- channeling. You know? So I channeled a lot of dharma, but I hadn't lived. So people thought I was wise. <laughs> Got me in more trouble. So... I ended up being part of the leadership of this retreat way as a beginning yogi. And so my, my son, you know, was acting, you know, like kids act. And I was just mortified because I really thought I had to look good. But anyway, there he is, you know, and he's part of the technological age. And he's grown up on the screen. And I did everything I could to screen him from the screen. But, you know, those are difficult choices, as you all know. And the, the trade-off between isolating from peers versus letting him be toxic and how to find the balance. So good luck with that one. Um, (laughs) I have no wisdom on that subject. I really don't. Um, Whatever you're doing, it's probably mostly right and a little lousy, and that's just as as good as it gets, you know, in parenting. But um, what's a little scary to me sometimes is that we don't really know how this is affecting brain development, you know, and even physical development like thumbs. Maybe in a few thousand years, humans are going to have like really big thumbs, you know. <laughs> but it's, our brains are very, very flexible. And so one of the beautiful gifts that we can offer our children and, and a responsibility that we hold to our children is to take them. And this is why you're, it's so good that you brought them here because this is the rose apple tree of their childhood. It's one of them. And the Buddha, you know, it was the memory of that tree that brought him to his enlightenment, brought him to the moment where he found the middle way and that took him to the Bodhi tree. So by bringing them here, by making room in your oh-so-busy lives, and I know, believe me, to get out into this nature, you know, and make it a priority, this is, a, this is an important gift for us right now, for our children, because their world, you know, is being taken over. And the forces are very powerful. You know, they're very, very powerful. There's something about technology that's very mesmerizing. We all know. We're all, we're probably caught up in it too. And um, the corporate powers are very forceful and powerful that see the marketing value of all this. And so our children are getting an onslaught of market mentality that unprecedented. None of us, particularly unless you're quite young, grew up with this. So we have this big job, this big responsibility. It's not going to just happen. We have to make it happen for them. And it can be, one can, I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes you get the, oh, mom, oh, dad, I don't want to go to the woods. You know, my friends are all doing this or that. And so we have to be a bit, a bit fierce about it because once they get there, you know, 99% of the time they are so happy. I was, I was last week at an educator's conference here that I was part of the leadership of, and um, one of the women shared that she had gone to a recent workshop with Daniel um, Rex Stefan, is that his name? Well, anyway, he's one of the wonderful gifted mindfulness teachers of youth right now. And he was talking about doing this in schools, which I also do. I go into schools and do this kind of music with children in schools as part of a mindfulness training program that they're getting, which is wonderful. And mostly urban, very largely urban inner city. And there are a lot of assumptions we have about, certainly about urban inner city youth, but also youth in general. And so the woman asked Daniel in his workshop, um, how do you get them to sit down? How do you get them to be quiet? 
can they even stand it now that they're so mechanized and technicized? And Daniel said, don't worry, they love it. They are grateful. And I've seen it over and over in classrooms that, that could be seen as very unmanageable. I have seen the refuge of an invitation to silence. There are so many kids in this world now for whom silence is an unknown experience. Between the blare of the technologies, the sounds of the neighborhood, the sounds of life going on, and the, the buses and the trains and the lights all night, there's no silence. And I see kids who are very stressed just go into that place. And the, the, the smile on their faces. If you want to see something incredibly heart-opening, go to my website. It's a great website. But on it, it's very easy to find. Right on the front page, there's a link to a video of the work I do with children in music. And one of the, there, there's a couple of schools, and they're both urban schools of various mixes of folks. But you will see children looking so happy and so peaceful. And it just is very exciting. So all that to say, don't be shy about this nature thing. There's a handout. In your, what your handout is that you can read at your leisure is a little piece from the man who wrote um, Last Child in the Woods. How many of you are familiar with that book? Okay. And um, it's a chilling title. The very title makes me tear up. I haven't actually been able to read it, but I know what it's about. And um, he's an incredible advocate for um, nature and children. So I... I recommend that to you. And he has a, 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 I don't know if he labeled it, but there's a term now, nature deficit disorder. Think about that. You know, that some of the behavior stuff that we see in children is nature deficit disorder. It's not something that's their body chemistry or their birth trauma. You know, there may be those things too. But it's simple access of that. Something's bigger than me, lasting, eternal, and accepts me exactly as I am, where else are you going to get that? You know, that unconditional love that nature gives us. You know, like Gil's story about the haircut. You know, the tree doesn't care that you got a crappy haircut. You know, (laughs) we all need that. (laughs) So um, I thought maybe I would would just sing a song with you um, about parents providing a touchstone for their children. It's called Smell the Flowers, and it's based on the um, wonderful book, uh, Ferdinand the Bull. Remember that one? Who remembers that? Let me see hands. This, this dates some of us. Um, great children's story. Find it, and if you have young children, read it to them. It's a, it's a bull who is um, uh, taken to Madrid. All he likes to do is sit and smell the flowers. He's just a really peaceful little bull, you know? But everybody thinks bulls are macho and strong, and so they cart him off to Madrid to be in the big bullfight. And he finds a flower in the middle of the stadium and sits down and just mm, smells the flowers. And he, everybody's furious, and they send him back to the meadow, and he stays in the meadow happy forever after smelling the flowers. So. I remember way back when I could barely reach my mama's hand. We walked so slow around the block, seeing all there was to see. Fireflies and ladybugs, a funny cloud, a garden slug. She'd turn and she'd give me a hug, smile and say these words to me. Let's just sit and smell the flowers. Let's just while away the hours. There's times we have to 
Cause there's things we have to do But today let's take our time And smell the flowers So the parts you, really easy to sing on is Let's just sit and smell the flowers While away the hours And then I do a little part different And then at the very end Smell the flowers So next time it comes around we'll do that All too soon it's high school years All the pressure all the fears college looming up ahead will there be a place for me clubs to join and sports to play it'll look good on my resume it's a game that everybody plays but my mama smiles and says to me you can sit and smell the flowers you can wipe away the hours There's deadlines and there's things to do But most of them can wait Take a little time to breathe And smell the flowers Well now it seems time swept me up I'm drinking from that coffee cup. I drive and eat and work too much. I'm busy, but I, I'm grown up, but I don't feel free. And they're talking about a new depression, climate change, insurrection. I think we need a new direction. Mama's words come back to me. We can sit smell the flowers we can while away the hours it could save our world and save our souls if we slip out of the stranglehold take a little time to breathe and smell the flowers and this is what I do believe our children just need room to breathe. So let's take a little time and smell the flowers. Your tears move me so much. You know, it's just so good to know that we are all in this together and that we're all struggling with this situation that we're in. It's a situation, folks, you know, and there's no easy way out. And thank God for the Dharma. Thank Buddha for the Dharma. Thank all the great teachers for, for really for a practice that can guide us through this, uh, this incredible time. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But I am going to venture into the, uh, the topic of climate change. And it's kind of a, a, a very difficult topic to bring up. It's sort of like the elephant in the room that we just don't want to look at. And so I want to just share a little bit with you of what I've been looking at. And I want to say, first of all, that the mom who always knows about smelling the flowers, I wish I'd been that mom, you know. I had my moments, but I can't, I can't pretend that I was. And when that college you know, gauntlet started running, or whatever the expression is, 
it took everything we had to not get full on board 100 miles an hour with that competitive, you know, hire a tutor, hire an essay writer, hire a God knows what, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible rat race. And maybe by the time that some of your kids are at that place, I think it's eased up a little bit now. My son was right in the heat of it around 2000, what was it? I can't remember, 2009, 10, around in there. But um, in any case, uh, just, just a discla- disclaimer that I'm, I am, you know, I am not the mom in the song as much as I wish I was, nor am I the mom who is taking a, a good, clear look at climate change and making huge changes in my life and whatnot. So I'm not speaking from a place of any superiority or better than, but I think it's just something that we need to start talking about together as parents because this is our children's future. So, you know... If, if nature is slowly disappearing to some degree or another, then we're losing that reference point that, that we are so grateful for, that bigger than, older than reference point. And so this is a great danger to our souls and our psyches as well as our health. Um, there's a man, and I'm not going to remember his name right now, but he has um, written a book called Hot. If anybody remembers his name, it's Mark... Here it goes, Hertzgard. And he's written a book called Hot, Living Through the Next 50 Years on Earth. This came out a couple of years ago. And he's done many, many years of study on on the climate trends and so forth and the science and everything. And, um, oh, I remember a song I forgot to sing. And this is really important, my friends. So you know what? Before I go any further, you get another song. (laughs) Woohoo! I don't know how I missed that one. <clears throat> but it's important because it, it references two things. One is science and one is stories. And Gil's talk yesterday was so wonderful in talking about stories because um, we need to be developing a story together about what's happening with the planet and what we tell our children about it. And we want to truly fi- try to find a story that's really true for us. And I think the practice can really help us with that. So this song is another one that I wrote, started writing before my dad was ill and finished after he died. Funny how that happens. It's called A Simple Story. Oh, when I meet my maker, three questions I will ask. One about the future, one about the past. Pray tell me where we're going Where did we begin And what's the purpose of it all As through the night we spin Cause I need a simple story That makes its meaning clear Someday I will say goodbye To all I treasure here I need a simple story Like holding my mama's hand Cause the older I am getting, the less I understand. Now science has its theories, its proofs and measurements. A tiny point exploding in the mighty firmament. And all the living universe, everything we know came tumbling out to fill the sky 12 billion years ago. And all the great traditions have stories of our birth, 
of gods and magic animals that covered all the earth. And I tell them to my children, it helps them go to sleep. But underneath it all, the dark is silent and it's deep. So I need a simple story that makes its meaning clear. Someday I will say goodbye to all I treasure here. I need a simple story like holding my mama's Cause the older I am getting, the less I understand. And though I'm feeling broken, feel I've lost my way. The years have left their mark on me, I can see it in my face. Still I know we're born for something. I know it's not in vain And my heart sings with a story That words cannot explain And I need that simple story Just singing in my ears Cause someday I will say goodbye To all I treasure here I need a simple story Like holding my mama's hand Because the older I am getting, the less I understand. So I'm holding my mama's So science has its story, and there's a lot of hope in the the story of the universe and in evolution, and I have great faith in evolution. Evolution is really my deepest dharma, I think, and my deepest faith. If I think about God, and I was raised in a Christian tradition, my dad was a minister, so that word is familiar to me, but when I think about God, really, and I get down into what I really believe, it really is evolution and the wisdom of nature, the wisdom of some great unfolding that we're still a part of. And it's far from over. It's far from over. So I actually, I'm a very hopeful person, even though I'm crying and I'm talking about hard stuff, but I have tremendous faith and hope in these natural processes. So um, back to um, our, our friend Mark. And so he, he wrote an article, and it's, I gave it, I have um, a website. Printout that's, I found this after I sent the printouts in, but this is a little thing of where to find his website. And he also has a website that is very interesting. It's a, it's a movement called um, cli- um, Climate Parents. And, and I'll, I'll, under, I'll explain more to you that in a minute. So I'm going to read you just a little bit of this. The laws of physics and chemistry, the fact that carbon dioxide remains in the atmosphere for decades after being emitted, means that man-made global warming is just getting started on this planet. As a result, my Chiara, his five-year-old daughter... And millions of other youth around the world are now fated to spend the rest of their lives coping with the hottest, most volatile climate in our civilization's 10,000-year history. Think of them as generation hot. And then he says, and he's a parent, he's speaking as a parent, so again, not no finger-shaking, but he says, why then are so few parents taking action to try to protect their beloved children from this gathering catastrophe? 
And why has no one asked them to? Why aren't we up in arms? Protecting our kids is our core responsibility as parents. Parents could bring enormous moral authority to the climate fight, not to mention social and financial resources, but no major environmental group appears to have organized them, nor have many parents organized themselves in the way that, say, Mothers for Peace did during the Cold War. Today's parents don't vote as if the climate matters. Even in green-minded San Francisco, most parents I know don't even talk about climate change. So he says, having covered climate change for 20 years and written the book Hot, um, I think there are three main reasons for parents' surprising passivity. And I think his points about this are actually applicable very broadly to everyone because my husband and I talk a lot about why there isn't more activism and awareness. And and I think his points apply to broader than parents. But let's take it in as parents first. First, many parents don't know or choose not to believe what science says about the climate threat. Most people get their information about such matters from the news media, and the media in the U.S. report climate change through political rather than scientific lenses. And if you listen to NPR at all, you may notice that Exxon and Shell and some of the oil companies are big corporate funders for them, which, go figure, you know, we're not hearing about this on even national public radio these days. The message um, is that from the U.S. media has, is dismissive. Only 3% of media stories about the wildfires raging in the West this summer mentioned climate change. Only 3% made any link. So we've been hearing all these reports about unprecedented tornadoes, unprecedented drought. No one's saying. 3% of the media are saying anything about it. So that's his first point. Second point. Parents who do, if parents do fake the, face the facts, they understandably find them depressing. Who wants to think about kids inheriting a perilous future? It's easier to pretend it isn't happening. This is especially true given the third reason, a widespread belief that there is nothing one can do to change the situation. The problem is too big. The political system is too broken. The polluters are too powerful. Don't you, don't you feel these things? I, I do. Exactly the, the reasons why I feel paralyzed. As a result, many parents end up practicing what I call soft denial. Not to be confused with the denial pervaded by right-wing ideologies, soft denial does not reject climate science per se. Soft denial accepts the science, at least intellectually, but because the implications are so disturbing, the soft denial acts as if the science does not exist. In psychological terms, this is denial. And, there's, and you know, Joanna Macy did a lot of work with this in, during the nuclear era of fear. Have any of you done her despair and empowerment work? And she was brilliant at recognizing the denial that was paralyzing us and she led people through a process of grieving and wailing and feeling the most intense pain imaginable at the future of their children should a nuclear holocaust occur and we learned by doing that that coming out the other side of that very frightening and painful process was enormous energy and enormous faith and hope and I've been through that process and I think that's part of why I I am still so very hopeful I think we need another wave of that work around the climate. Um, Understandable as it may be on one level, this is not responsible parenting. When Lisa Bennett, a writer in the Bay Area and mother of two young boys, awoke to the dangers of climate change, she felt compelled to act. She says, I began to think it a bit crazy that I attended to every bump and scrape on my children's little bodies and budding egos, but largely ignored the threat likely to put sizable areas of the world underwater in their lifetime. I think that's a wonderful quote 
you know, to realize we are the most vigilant, conscientious parents I can imagine. And so, and so, you know, how do we take the next step, you know, to the bigger picture with our children? So, you know, uh, let me think. I just want to think where I want to go from here. I'm sort of jumping around in my little plan here. Okay, I want to just um, backstep for a moment. I'm about to think about stories, about how we talk to our children about this. Because when something really scary happens in our neighborhood, you know, we all kind of have learned ways to talk about that. Like, say, our children, well, like 911 is a good example. It's very frightening for those of you whose children were conscious during that time. And, um, you know, maybe just even a plane crash that they hear about. Or maybe there's a school shooting or there's a, they hear about a child getting a, a, a fatal illness. So what do we say to children? You know, we tend to say things that both say these things happen, but they're not going to happen here, especially if children are very young. It's not going to happen here. We, we want to create that safety, that feeling of safety around them. And, and it's a good thing to say because it probably isn't going to happen here. You know, they're probably, they're probably not going to get shoot, shot on the schoolyard, you know, or, or be in a plane crash. The odds are very, very, very small. So that is a kind and a wise thing to say to a child. But when it's climate change, it is going to happen here. And it is going to happen to everyone. Nobody's outside. So we no longer have, like, the safe neighborhoods and the not safe neighborhoods. We're all in the neighborhood that's going to get very, very hot. So we can't <coughs> tell that story anymore, you know. So we need an, a new story, a new way of comforting and empowering our children. And I'm, I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's really what we find in our own hearts. And it comes out of our relationship to um, the simple stories of our childhood, what we believe now, what the Dharma is helping us to understand about impermanence and compassion. And um, the Dharma, I, I want to I talk a little bit about that, and I hope I leave a little time. I want to hear from Gil and Ajahn Apasano also um, about this. But um, this is new to me to talk about this, so I'm going to just be stumbling a little bit. I think what I'll do is share a little bit about practices that may help us access the story that we need to tell. Because before we can find the story that's right for us, we have to maybe do some practicing at really looking at this and opening our hearts to it. And there are two practices I thought of from our, our tradition, the Buddhist tradition, that are really helpful. And one of them is one I, I've only done a little of. But it is the contemplation of death. And it's a very rigorous and, and gripping kind of raw practice. And maybe... Ashampasana, I could ask you to say a few words about the actual contemplation of the, the, the decay of the body and a few ways that, that people who practice, who, monks who practice this actually go to the charnel fields or whatever you'd like to say about it. Well, I mean, it's just, it's, I think that's one of the things, again, in terms of... Oh, I'm sorry, a microphone. Right to your right. All right, okay, good. You know, I think in terms of the uh, that sense of isolation from, say, like isolation from nature, um, just those fundamentals of of uh, isolation from the fundamental processes, and most of us uh, don't really uh, have haven't really had contact with with death, uh, and uh, it tends to be quite separate and pushed away in our culture, and I think of my 
a time in Thailand when, when somebody died in the village, um, then everybody brought the, one of the monks would go to the house where the person died, and then everybody gathered, and then everybody brought the, the body uh, back to the, to the monastery to be cremated. And before the cremation, it was open for viewing, and everybody gathered around and, and gave this, uh, like just a little water-pouring ceremony. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's just uh, what you're doing is sharing, sharing blessings and sharing goodness and just taking a little bit of water and pouring over it and sending a wish. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, and, and it's like little kids and, you know, adults and everybody. Mm-hmm. It's no, there's nothing hidden. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think many things are hidden in our society. So much. Yeah. So much. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I went to a workshop with Eugene Cash, and I think... Um, I think there's one that's coming up actually out here. But anyway, where he does a whole day on death, and one of the things he, he did is he handed out pictures of a body decaying at various stages of decay. So that's the level of kind of visceral contact. And the reason I say this is not because we're all going to die, so let's look at... I mean, we're all, we're all going to die, but I, I don't mean... We're not contemplating the death of our children due to climate change. That's not what I mean. But it's just a practice of looking at painful things and, and, and then practicing, opening the heart, relaxing into it, recognizing that this is just the reality, you know, and that I think that kind of practice of getting out of denial on any front is really helpful in, in getting us a little braver about looking at climate change. So that's one practice that I, I thought of. The other is um, Thich Nhat Hanh has just a wonderful teaching, teaching about looking deeply at anything that we're doing that may be harmful. And his example, I was in Czechoslovakia with him long ago singing while, and he was teaching. It was his first time in Eastern Europe. And he was, um, they wanted him to talk about alcoholism in that culture because in those cultures, maybe I'll do this a little better, um, there was a lot of alcoholism in Eastern Europe in those days. And his teaching was simply, he said, you know, if you really look at the alcohol and you think about, and this is just like the raisin eating or the tangerine eating, but he did it with alcohol. You look at the where it came from, the earth that created it, the hands that created it, the work that went into it, and then look deeply at the effects that it has on your life, on human lives, on your body, on your spirit, etc. He says if you look deeply at that alcohol, something in you will turn from it. Now, I, you know, anyone who's in a 12-step program knows there may, may take a little more than that, but, <laughs> but still, I'm thinking, you know, if we, if we take the practice of looking deeply and opening ourselves to an, like an image of a, an, a bird during... Um, the BP oil spill, those images of, of beautiful birds coated in oil. You know, and if we allow ourselves to really let that in and look deeply at it, what awakens is compassion. Our hearts open to that. And if we are, like, I don't have time to deal with this, we don't want to look at that picture. But if we make the choice in our practice to take out a picture of a, of a bird that has been damaged by uh, ecological damage or a, a forest that is decimated by wood beetles or, or burned down or whatever and, and contemplate it, take it as a practice and open our hearts, I think that might help us to kind of get to the next level, whatever it is, wherever it is we need to go with this. So I guess I would say that one of the things I get from the Dharma is that, well, first of all, equanimity. Equanimity. That what seems like a disaster 
is often there's always it's almost like there's always more to the story, you know. Like even even mm, Stephen Levine talks about that. You know, he's all about death and dying. Stephen Levine, and he, I was at a workshop with him once, and he talked about this is kind of graphic, but he talked about being murdered, and he said even in that moment when the knife say goes in, and there's that awful ah. Oh, he said there's always a moment after that. There's always something after the moment we think is final. And as I watched my dad die, I, I could feel that. That, that. that really was a transition. It wasn't an ending. And um, so I think equanimity is, it helps us to just kind of hold things in balance. And then we can actually look more deeply at things because we're not catastrophizing. We're not like, I can't look at that because it just means the end of the world and I can't face it. You know, With equanimity, it's like, well, good news, bad news. Don't know. Let's look. Let's, you know, let's just take a look. The other piece that I think the Dharma is very helpful with for me is the Eightfold Path. And and this gets into the realm of action, and that's really the last thing I wanted to talk about, because that's what the question Mark is asking, is why aren't we more active? So... um, one, wise, there's two, two pieces of the Eightfold Path that really make sense to me in this context. One is wise action and one is wise effort. They're very related. But the idea is that um, to not take action at all is not wise. To frenetically tear our hair and run around like Chicken Little or whoever it was is also probably not wise. And so, again, each of us needs to find in the context of our own lives what is wise action on behalf of our children in this, in this context? And how can we take maybe one step further than we're comfortable or one step further than we have and, um, and then kind of be there for a while and, you know, whatever. But to, to neither hold back nor like, you know, because I've been a kind of person. I started out, I'm an activist, as you may have gathered, and I started out with just kind of the burnout style of like, I'm going to do everything really fast and we're going to clean up this mess and get on with having a great life, you know. And after a couple of years of that, I thought, I think I need a spiritual practice. <laughs> and I did, I did. And it's, it's made all the difference. Um, so, you know, we may think, well, I just don't have the time, I don't have the energy, it's all too big for me, I don't know where to start. All those things, you know, it's too big, blah, blah. But think about it. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand, but this is in your heart, how many of you are already saving for your children's college fund, right? I bet a lot of you are. How many of you are cutting corners and making sacrifices to send your child to private school right now? Or to come to Spirit Rock, or whatever. So, you know, we know the practice of changing our lives a little bit for the sake of something we really care about. And we do it around money a lot. Spencer could certainly speak to that as our money expert, our Dharma money expert. Um, so what about our time? What about tithing our time? You know the practice of tithing? Many, many, pract- many traditions have a tithing practice. It's generosity, basically. It's taking a percent of your annual income or monthly income and giving it to your religious community or, or homeless shelter, whatever. So what about tithing our time on, for the sake of our children? and donating it to being active in a climate cause. I mean, even, I hate to say it because it's, such a, it's easy, but it's still something, even signing a petition online, you know. I sign at least two petitions every day, you know. It's just like click, click. Um, but it, there's, I mean, and that's not the, the end by any means. But think about that. Think about the time you spend and the money you spend on your children. And maybe we could just be a little more generous with our time on behalf of their future. And the other thing is take refuge in the Sangha. 
No one, we cannot do this alone. We cannot face this alone. And I think Mark's point is really valid that why aren't we organizing? Why aren't parents at block? You know, why aren't we in the streets banging pots and pans? You know, so maybe that's not our form. But find other people. There, we all care about this. There's not a person in this room that doesn't care about it. And you can bet that your, most of your neighbors and friends do, but just are paralyzed like, like all of us. So getting together, some of the things that are going on now that are really, I think, very exciting are the trans, transition town movements. And if you don't know what that is, Google it. These are people who are getting together as communities to create community gardens together, to share cars, to share resources, and to kind of get ready for a way of life that may be required of us in another 50 years or so, which is much more close to the earth. Not We're not going to maybe have food systems that run on oil and get food to us from the highways. We may need to be growing our own. So the Transition Town movement says, let's do it now. Let's get ready. It's a wonderful gift to give your children. Co-housing is kind of part of all that. Um, car sharing, even the Occupy movement, I think, is, is really playing a very vital role in waking up the corporate mind and kind of shaking us out of our trance a little bit and challenging the whole money system, which is a very valuable thing to do. Stockholder activism. If any of you have stock in major corporations, that's a really powerful way to have a voice in what they're doing. And then bring your gifts to the effort. You all are, are, have so many talents and gifts, and te- your technology is needed, your uh, marketing ability, your publicity ability. And, you know, this climate parents movement that Mark is trying to start, they need us. We, I mean, they are us. You know, he, they're just starting, and they need us. And I'll tell you what I'm doing and I'm very excited about is I was approached by some people from um, 350, um, which is the Bill McKibben um, organization, Carbon 350, <coughs> to make a video of music... Um, to mothers, aimed at mothers, and about climate change, and aiming it specifically at kind of heartland Republican women, really trying to change the voting mentality, because voting really does make a difference. So um, we're writing a song to the tune of Hush Little Baby, and they're going to put images over this of um, of babies and, and, and moms and dads, but also of the planet the death of the planet. So there's going to be these very disturbing images with this very sweet song and also very comforting images. So I'll sing, I'll sing you a little bit of it. We haven't finished it yet, but just so you get an idea. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. But if that mockingbird's extinct, how can my little baby sleep awake? How can a mama close her eyes When carbon pollution fills the skies The earth's warming up and it's much too dry We can't grow food with a lullaby Oceans rise and the storm winds roar Tornadoes and hurricanes at our door Oh, little baby mama not much future for her baby dear Mama is scared but Mama is brave She'll find a way to keep her baby safe Mama is strong and Mama is wise She'll find other mamas who'll open their eyes So hush little baby don't say a word Mama's gonna save you a mock Mama's gonna save you the redwood trees, the ocean deep and the mountain breeze. And when we've turned our clothes,
you'll still be the prettiest little baby in town. And there's actually a couple of more verses that somehow didn't get into this version about she'll find other... Oh, there's something about organ doing stuff together. So that, you know, at some point, hopefully that'll be out on YouTube and, and things like that. So that's just, you know, one way that I, I'm good at some things, and so I can kind of be helpful in that. But you all are good at what you're good at. So just think about what you're already doing skillfully in your life and how could you lend that to a great cause, you know, the great cause of saving, saving this for our children. So, um, and I just want to say, and very last thing, and then we'll sing a little quick song together, that um, I find right action leads to great joy. And I just want to tell you that, that I found such joy in being active in the Occupy movement and the anti-drone movement and the peace movement and, and so many things, you know, where as a singer I just get to go out and, and lead people in song. And, and um, yeah, it takes time. Yeah, sometimes it's a, it's a drag, blah, blah. But it, it's very ennobling. It's very um, healing, and it will give you more than it takes away. I, I, I really promise you that. And I know many of you are already active. I don't mean to imply that you're not. But um, <sighs> we can just kind of step it up a little bit. So what I'd like to do is um, just as you're, as you're sitting, find a way to hold hands. And we can just virtually hold hands, virtually hold hands. And actually, I'm going to let my hand go because we're going to sing. And just sing a little um, kind of a, a blessing meta song. It's called, it's May the Work We Do Make the World We Live In a Little More Worthy of Our Children. It goes like this. May the work we do make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. May the work we do make the world we live in a little more worthy May the work we do make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. May the work we do make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. How about the prayers we pray? May the prayers we pray make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. May the prayers we pray make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. The actions we take, may the actions we take make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. May the actions we take make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. Make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. May the songs we sing make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. I know, the friends we make, because we are all Dharma friends now. And may this friendship continue. And when I put out the climate change... Um, thing for you so you can go to the website. I'll put out a sign-up sheet, and if any of you want to stay connected around this and support each other and be a sangha either locally or just virtually online, that could be really helpful. So I'll put out something you can all sign up on if you want to. May the friends we make. May the friends we make make the world we live in a little more worthy of our children. 
Thank you all for your beautiful hearts. Wonderful listening. Um, Shambhala's son, I think the current issue has a whole issue on stress. Really, really good. And one of the articles in it is, um, they're all about solutions to stress. One of them is going outside, which is exactly on topic. So um, I printed a few of them. I didn't want to print a ton because you may not all want them. But anyway, I'll put those out as well. And... um, in a moment, we're going to have a couple of announcements, but um, does anyone just have anything they want to say? You know, anyone, teachers, yogis, all of us? Carla? I have a question on yeah. climate change. Is it enough for us to start driving electric cars and put solar converters on our well, this is, um, thank you, um, because he, he, Mark does mention that, and I think a lot of people feel the same. It's all good. It's all good, but it's not enough. So do it. Do what you can at home level. That's a great place to start, you know. But it's, it's not enough because the real problem is the corporate pollution. And we are part of it. But so the less you can use fuel, fossil fuel stuff, the better. But it's really political action. I'm sorry I didn't read that part, and that's really important. Um, political action is the next step. And it need, we need to direct it right at the corporations and right at the banking because they're all connected. And... Um, and so that does mean political action, which is voting, which is lobbying, which is whatever it means to you. Okay? But, yeah, it's so change our lifestyle and then get active. Yeah. I just wanted to say that as a grandmother, instead of being of past children, children, but um, what's very much in my mind all the time, and one of the reasons why I brought them here, is that I want my grandchildren's children to be able to That's right. Yes, right. As, as I, it's wonderful to listen to this and feel what you feel, what I felt like I was raising my youngers and then you know, thinking about them and what they're going to be dealing yeah. with and what we're good for them. Exactly. Taking the long view, this is the indigenous Native American view is the seventh generation. You know, and that's that's the long, long view. And the Dharma is all about that. It's all about big time and long view. Kalap, is it kalapas? What is that word? Kalpas. 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 You know, they, they they use these huge numbers, thousands of kalpas. Anyway, so yes. Anyone else? Yeah. Amen. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And well, I think 
One of the things I struggle with, and I've always struggled with this, is a lot of the places that are really out in nature. Uh, I'm just going to just say words that may not be the quite that are reserved for like white people and people with wealth. Yeah. And like when I you know, have gone to EBMC, East Bay Meditation Center in Oakland, it's like in a, on a city street. And mm -hmm. it's not the same as being at Spirit Rock. Anyway, I don't know why. <laughs> Something you said just like triggered all this for me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's it's an issue because I think a lot of people want their kids to be in nature, mm -hmm. and it's just a struggle about yeah. um, who you want them raised around. And, mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And well, no. Thank. I mean, there's just so much. I mean, this is just the beginning of so much. And you know, is there a parent? There's not a parent group this afternoon, but n tomorrow there'll be another circle of discussion. Well, there's a parent group tonight. So you know, this may come up tonight. You know, if you want to carry it on in your groups tonight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say something from what um, Rondi said. Oh, just to say that. The bright side, the good side, my, my partner David actually knows Rondi. They, uh, he, he works in multiracial work at, at Cal also. And um, he is very tuned into the college generation, really more than I am. And he sees a lot of power in, and hope in the actual the social networking and the kind of grassroots arising, you know, Egypt, Egyptian Spring and Occupy and these ways that things are arising in a very different form than when Rondi and I were activists. And it's, there's a lot going on there. You know, they're not just tuned out and numbed out. There's a lot cooking, but it doesn't look like what it looked like when I was, you know. So I'm, I'm learning to widen my view, a wise view, to, to kind of see where new life and new activism and, and new visions of the future are coming up through the kids in ways that we may not recognize so easily. Yeah. I teach a mindfulness course at a university level. Great. And the um, students are very transformed by it. Thank you. So glad. Yeah. You know, mindfulness in education is a growing movement now, and it's spreading throughout the country and throughout the world. So tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of young people are learning mindfulness now in their schools. So this is really hopeful. You know, this is evolution at its doing its thing, you know. So I know you have to get your kids. I've got just a couple of, of announcements for you. Um, Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.